Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our contemplation this morning is the Old Testament lesson. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 23, 22 and 23 and 41 through 43. Then Solomon stood in front of the altar in the presence of the whole congregation of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heavens above or on the earth below. You keep the covenant of mercy and faithfulness with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Also for the foreigner, who is not one of your people Israel, but who comes from a distant land because of your name. For they will hear about your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. And they will come and pray toward this house. For that foreigner, here in heaven, which is your dwelling place, and do everything for which the foreigner cries out to you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, just as your people Israel do. And because they know that your name is proclaimed in this house, which I have built. These are the words of our text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered in your name and in your house to hear your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us through it, spell our doubts and fears, and reassure us that through your great act of deliverance in Jesus the Savior, our sins are forgiven. We are your dearly loved children, and we will spend eternity with you Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to these ends. Sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed. Solomon built an opulent temple. The walls were lined with cedar and the floors with pine. In the walls, in the timber of the wall, were carved images of cherubim, gourds, open flowers. And then it was overlaid with gold. Gold was even on the floor of the temple. In the innermost sanctuary, what we call the Holy of Holies, Solomon had two cherubim, two angels crafted. They were 15 foot high, and from wingtip to wingtip was 15 feet. So that the two cherubim stood wingtip to wingtip across the expanse of the Holy of Holies. Those two cherubim were overlaid with gold. The temple that Solomon built was opulent. If we were to build a, a similar building today, 
Many in the church would say it's wasteful. That the money could be used for better purposes. So why did Solomon build such a lavish temple? Was he wasteful? Or maybe he was trying to show the world how rich and successful he was? Or maybe he was trying to give his people the nicest possible place for their center of worship. Why did Solomon build an opulent temple? This is what he wrote to Hiram, the king of Tyre, in a message. He said, You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. And there is no adversary, adversary sorry, or disaster. I intend therefore to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son whom I will put on the throne in your place will build the temple for my name. Solomon built such an extravagant temple because it was built in and for the name of the Lord. He wanted the people of Israel to know the name of the Lord and worship Him. But our text makes it clear that Solomon had grander plans than just those for the people of Israel. In his dedication prayer, he prayed, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Solomon built that temple so that all peoples could know the name of the Lord and fear Him. God was pleased with the temple that Solomon built. He visibly made his presence known by filling the temple with a cloud. God desires all people to know his name and revere him. What does it mean to know the name of the Lord? When we use the word name, we often use it, most commonly use it, in the sense of what do you call something? Maybe similar to Moses when he was before the burning bush and he asked God, who shall I say has sent me? And God said, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. The closest name for God that's connected with that word I am is the word Yahweh. And Yahweh was seen as the proper name for God. In fact, the Israelites would not use that name 
They always use the Hebrew word for Lord, Adonai. They wouldn't say Yahweh. So when it speaks about God's name being in this temple, does it mean the name Yahweh, the name we call God? No, it means much more. When Solomon prayed that the people from distant lands would hear the great name of God. He wasn't referring to the word Yahweh, but referring to all of God's reputation. In the very first words of our text, the first part, Solomon actually verbalizes that reputation. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heavens above or on the earth below. You keep the covenant of mercy and faithfulness with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. What was God's reputation? God's reputation was that he keeps his covenant of mercy and faithfulness. God keeps his word. So the great name of God is not what we call him, but it's God's reputation among us. And Solomon even illustrates that some in what, he, in what he describes the stranger's hearing. Not just the great name of the Lord, but they would hear the mighty hand and the outstretched arms. Just before Moses was about to die, he instructed the people that when your sons ask, why do we have all these commandments and regulations? This is what he should answer them. We were slaves of the Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent, Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out of there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The people of Israel at Solomon's time could point to the great act of deliverance that God had worked to bring them out of that land of slavery into the promised land of Canaan. Solomon could also point to the fact that God had kept his promise to David and that now David's son was on the throne and God had allowed him to build a temple for the name of the Lord so that God could dwell in the midst of his people. God had kept his promises of deliverance with that mighty hand of God, with his almighty power. But simply the vision of a mighty hand might be terrifying. 
But notice that Solomon also says an outstretched arm. Some look at that and picture the active hand of God. That a working hand is always outstretched. It's away from the body. But I wonder if there isn't more in that picture. I think there is a universal sign to children. If any adult goes like this to a child, what does the child know the adult is offering? I'll pick you up. My arms are there to carry you. Now, if the child doesn't trust the parent it turn, or the adult, it turns away and runs. But it knows what was offered. What is God depicting with these outstretched arms? That he will use his power for our good. That he will pick us up and carry us. That is certainly what God demonstrated for the people coming out of Israel. But we have a much greater sign than Solomon did. Jesus said, when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. The cross of Jesus is God's outstretched arms to all people. Inviting all people to come to their Savior and receive the forgiveness of all of their sins. Yes, the cross of Jesus is God's mighty hands at work. Just think about what God had to lift with the cross of Jesus. He had to lift the guilt of all of your sins and transfer it onto Jesus. That weight is so heavy that no one, despite all of their striving, can ever lift it. It's a burden so great that it required God to become man so that he could successfully carry it. Jesus has lifted the burden of all of your failings and transferred it to himself. And he has successfully carried it. Paying the guilt of all of your sins. Yes, whatever you have failed to do. Whatever you have done and should not have done. Whatever you have not done, which you should have done, all of those sins Jesus has successfully, powerfully handled so that God has delivered you from the slavery of sin and made you His people. And His arms are outstretched towards you so that you can know that those mighty hands are not there to crush you, but to pick 
pick you up and to carry you through life. They're outstretched towards you so that you can know that God wants to be your God. And He wants you to be His people. God is faithful to His covenant of mercy in Jesus. He's still the same God to whom Solomon prayed and the people of Israel worshipped. So know the name of the Lord and revere Him. You may have noticed that the word revere isn't in our text. The word fear is. Fear is probably a, a difficult word for us to use in English today because we typically mean I'm scared when I say, or when we speak of fear. Does God want you to be scared of Him? Well, in one sense, yes, but not in the, the greatest sense. And in some ways, it's a little bit like how I feel towards electricity. I hate getting shocked. But I love electricity. I love being able to turn on the switch and the lights come on, turn on the TV. But when I'm handling electricity, I'm careful. If I'm going to do some wiring, I make sure the circuit breakers are off. Because I don't want to get shocked. I have a reverent fear towards electricity. And God wants you to have the same attitude towards Him. Not to be terrified of Him, but to be careful. Careful in how you live in relationship to Him. In his letter to the Romans, Paul pictured it this way. He said, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And that this would be our spiritual act of worship. God wants us to be careful in the way that we live out our earthly lives in this relationship that He has established where He is our God and we are His people by mercy. He wants us to live as sacrifices. We are then to revere the name of the Lord so much that everything we do in life is because of our relationship with Him. And often when we speak about this, we'll, we'll speak about our time, our talent. How am I going to spend my time? How am I going to use the talents that God has given me? How am I going to use the treasure that God has given me? So that I would revere Him, I would honor Him in the way that I live. But there's another T word that our text brings out. And that's our talk. How were the people from distant lands going to hear about 
the great name and the mighty hand and the outstretched arms of the Lord. Well, obviously the Israelites were going to talk about it. They were going to tell the people around them the great things that God had done for them. So that those in distant lands could learn of it. It's no different today. How are people going to learn of the great things that God has done for us in Jesus? We have to talk. Jesus sent his disciples out into all nations. And he told them to preach the gospel to all creation. He said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Because God still desires all people to know his name and revere him. We can build beautiful churches to worship him. But if we don't tell people about Jesus, how will they learn? God has not sent the angels to tell people. He sent Christians, those who personally know his covenant of mercy and faithfulness, those who bear his name. At your baptism, God placed his name on you. So that now you can carry his name into the world and tell others about him. Doesn't mean you have to get a, on a soapbox on the corner of the street. It can be simply in daily conversation, telling others of the great God that loves us and forgives our sins in Jesus. That really was the heart and center of why Solomon built that temple. What can we do? We may not be able to build an opulent temple like Solomon did. But with our simple words, we can speak of the name of the Lord and the great things he has done. So may God grant us his spirit that we would bear his name before the world so that those in distant lands that may be living right next door to us can learn of his great name and also revere him. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand for the blessing. And now may the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus until life everlasting.